Hi, and welcome to Why Do We Do That, a psychology podcast that deconstructs human behavior from the perspectives of social scientists, psychologists, and others that use applied psychology in their work. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Moyer. In this episode, I sat down with Dr. Leidy Klotz. Leidy is a professor at the University of Virginia who studies the science of design. He's authored over 80 original research articles, and his work has appeared in numerous outlets, including Nature, Science, The Washington Post, and Harvard Business Review. I invited Leidy on to talk about his latest book, Subtract, The Untapped Science of Less. In his book, Leidy details how the idea of subtraction is often overlooked when attempting to improve upon something or solve a problem. What was particularly interesting to me was how the idea of subtraction sort of fits into this category of a blind spot in human cognition. It's something that we all do, but may not notice until we pay some attention to it. We have a bias for adding, and it seems as though we can develop better and faster solutions for problems if we give equal weight to subtraction-based ideas. Also, I was glad to hear that an abstract concept like subtraction had so many practical and personal applications that could immediately make your life more efficient. I've spent a lot of time since my conversation with Lighty thinking about how to apply his ideas to my daily life, such as by removing apps from my phone that don't add value, or removing objects from my living space to create a simpler feel. I hope you're able to appreciate the values of subtraction after listening to our conversation. Enjoy. All right. Joining me today is Lighty Klotz. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ryan. This is going to be fun. Yes, I I hope so. Um, So today we're going to be talking about Uh, your latest book, which is called Subtract, um, The Untapped Science of Less. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, It it basically takes an abstract idea uh, of subtraction and applies it to a lot of real world problems and formulates ideas for how you can apply subtraction in your life to to live a more fulfilling, better life. And um, I wanted you to start by uh, just giving an overview of the premise of your book, um, and in particular, like what subtraction isn't, uh, as you refer to it in your book, because it seems like there are lots of adjacent ideas to subtraction, um, and you're, you're talking about a, a very specific principle. So why don't you uh, give us an idea of what you're talking about when it comes to subtraction? Yeah, well, first you did a good job um, summarizing how the how the book takes uh, you know this idea and tries to bring it to life. Um, I, the The key distinction is that it's an action, right? And so there's all this focus on minimalism and uh, the end state of less, which isn't bad. I mean, that's amazing. I strive for that too. But there's uh, less focus on this kind of act that is needed to get there, which is, is taking away. And so if you think about all these situations that we encounter in life, whether it's um, something small, like just arranging our weekly calendar to something big, like trying to adjust climate change, you're trying to take how things are and change it to how you want them to be. Um, And 
you know, they're subtracting is a basic option when we're, um, when we're approaching problems, uh, <laughs> big and, and small. And it seems, um, the, the, the premise of the book, I guess, is that we underuse subtraction and that's a pretty rock solid premise because it's backed up by our own research that um, was published in nature, which is not something that I commonly do or ever do, uh, <laughs> except for in this case, um, in part because of my great collaborators. Um, but, you know, so we systematically overlook subtraction as a way to solve problems in all kinds of cases. And the book kind of jumps off from there and says, well, why, why is this the case? And now knowing this and knowing more about why this might be the case, how can we, how can we do better? How can we get better at, at using it? And again, you know, it's not the only way to make change. It's just a, an overlooked way to make change. And as you said, it's not, not the same as minimalism because minimalism is the end state and subtracting is the way to get there and to get to so many other places. I see. Um, <clears throat> right. So you do, you dedicate a, a big chunk of the book talking about uh, this sort of default tendency to, uh, to neglect subtraction. Um, you know, one of the, before I even picked it up, you know, I started thinking about, you know, there's gotta be some sort of evolutionary reason why we're neglecting subtraction, right? I mean, if you think of, um, you know, or whether it's pre-human ancestors or any sort of organism, it's like the one thing that you need to do to survive is reproduce offspring, like more offspring, right? Right. And um, so you talked about a, a couple different uh, reasons why we neglect subtraction. What are, what are the, what's the big one? I, w I mean, yeah, wanting to produce more offspring, even before that, to be able to produce more offsprings, you have to offspring, you have to acquire food, for example, right? And so this, um, this, uh, an, an instinct to eat and, and accumulate food and other things that kind of can relieve, um, uh, can meet basic needs is it tends to be an evolutionary instinct. I mean, there's an example, a study of pack rats hoarding, um, hoarding nuts. Once their stash gets stolen, they automatically hoard nuts again. And you think, well, that's just what I do when my pantry goes bare, but the pack rats aren't thinking and deliberating, right? They don't have the capability to plan ahead. They're just hoarding the, the nuts based on instinct. And so there is, you know, we share that with them. And then I, the other one that I think, um, and as you know, I mean, all of these, there are a lot of evolutionary forces and the evolutionary forces overlap with cultural and, you know, more socioeconomic ones that are more modern. But um, the other big evolutionary one is just this desire to display competence, I think. So um, the, the desire to show that you can effectively interact with the world. And um, that's, that's a basic need. Um, and the reason it's evolutionary advantageous is because if you can show you can effectively interact with the world, you're showing that you're potentially a good mate, somebody who you would, who uh, would want to pass down genes with, um, and <laughs> create the, the next generation. Um, and so it wasn't surprising to me that competence was important, um, but it was surprising that it was so evolutionary uh, grounded. I mean, one of the examples that I use in the book is the bower birds building these ceremonial nests, right? And they, the, they build the nests to, um, the males build the nest, the females come and look at the nests, and then the females decide which male to mate with based on what nest they like best. And then the females 
go build a nest to raise the young. So the whole point of the initial ceremonial nest was just to show that the male can effectively interact with the world. And um, this notion of competence is displaying competence is something that we have. And it's also been more recently extended by like um, Bandura, who's the famous psychologist to, to task completion, right? So going to a meeting is a way to display competence, the way that to display that we can effectively interact with our world. And it's easier to display competence by adding than it is by subtracting. You know, when you subtract something, you very well may be effectively interacting with the world, but nobody sees it, which is an important loop to close for competence. Right. Yeah. It, it Just, reminds me of all the, you know, all, all of our hardwired preferences, right? They're not designed to address challenges of today. So, so like you said, you know, the, like right. I, I was picturing exactly. the, the peacock and, and having more feathers to attract mates. Like it's, it's very, uh, it's a waste of calories for peacocks to grow uh, that right. large of a mane, but it does serve a purpose. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did so, you have, did, <laughs> did you have other evolutionary ones that you think were, um, like rose to the those the level of competence and um acquiring food yeah i i um i my my brain kind of was thinking what what you were about this about mm -hmm. this that's that stockpiling instinct i think that's yeah that was definitely the main thing and how um especially i mean especially in scarcity i mean that's the kind of the that's why it's so hard for humans nowadays to think of 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 these challenges because we have so many resources. I mean, on you know, right. everyone we know probably doesn't have trouble with food or, or you know, uh, we have an abundance of resources. So it's kind of hard to put ourselves back into that state of, you know, well, why why is it that when we go to the store we we jump on a sale? It's because you know there were there was a time in our evolutionary history where we didn't have all these resources. Yeah. And that, you know, that's a nice segue into the cultural layer, right? And so, um, and then when you talk about the start of human civilization, you know, to become more civilized, it may, there's no highway, there's no buildings. It makes sense to add the highway, add the buildings, to um, add the social structures, right? There's no rules. It makes sense to, to add rules. Um, so for a long time, just in it's starting from, you know, the start of civilization, it's always, it's made, it's also made sense to add things. Um, and what it's the same basic thing where now we're in a point where we have these, these new opportunities, you know, on a, on a long time scale, new opportunities to take things away, to make things better. And we're still kind of stuck with the same mind, uh, the mindset that has gotten us here. Now, uh, specifically thinking about the U.S. culture for a minute, um, you could some people would characterize U.S. culture as being very materialistic. Um, <laughs> that would be a good characterization. Would, exactly yeah. right. Um, so you know this accumulation of of stuff. Um, do you, uh, how strong of a force do you think? Um, thus specific culture uh, plays in this tendency to neglect subtraction? Uh, well, we want to study it more, but also in our initial studies, this tendency to overlook subtraction, at least. Um, so this is just not thinking about it, never mind 
once you think about it, you've got to choose it. Um, uh, we had a Japanese and a, a German sample in there. And the, the difference within those samples was more than the difference across samples. So, so the, the small amount of evidence that we do have across cultures suggests that like this, not thinking of it is pretty much um, is something that all cultures share. Uh, now, not choosing it, I could see being, um, you know, have having differences across cultures, right? Because once you think of subtracting as an option, then there are all these other forces where it's like, well, I know that this is the right thing to do, but I've got a um, incentive system, whether it's, you know, how you, you get paid at work or how you, uh, how people uh, respect you in your neighborhood, you've got this incentive system to, to add rather than take away. And, that, and I, I imagine if that um, those kind of cultural signals were different, right? If you live in a neighborhood with all, um, you know, tiny homes, you're going to be more likely to have a tiny home. That's not a, a secret. Um, so, so yeah, I think for the, for the thinking of it, the evidence and my guess, uh, a weak hypothesis, I guess, would be that it would be pretty similar across different cultures. And as you know, I mean, the, how you define cultures becomes a real, you know, I think a, a person making $2 million a year in a very uh, like interdependent or Eastern culture is going to be different than a person, you know, making $50,000 a year in one of those cultures. So, um, so I don't think that there would be major differences across cultures. And I'm sure there would be like nuanced differences and it would be, we're interested in studying that more um, or yeah. letting somebody beat us to it and uh, telling us what they find. But, but then in terms <laughs> of choosing it, I think, you know, certainly the, the norms around us are really powerful um, examples and in, in what we, what we follow through with and how we make change. So uh, we've talked about uh, subtra subtraction in the abstract. Uh, could you just give us a, yeah. uh, one of your your favorite examples uh, from the book uh, that uh, about so, uh, the the value of subtraction. Uh, a really uh, physical one is uh, subtracting the wheels to make Strider bikes. So I have a I, well I had a three year old at the time of writing the book. Now I have another three year old, and the three year old is seven. But uh, so these Strider bikes are little miniature bikes that toddlers can ride because the inventor, Ryan McFarland, and uh, the company is Strider Bikes, removed the pedals and the drivetrain. And so what happens is the toddler can, you know, propel this like a Flintstone vehicle. And they, it turns out they know how to balance. They just don't have enough uh, propulsion to, to turn the wheels. So it allows, it gives kids like an extra year or two of bike riding. It adds a ton of joy to the world. And then once they go to ride their, um, once they go to ride a, a big kid bike, they already know how to balance and just have to learn how to pedal. So it's, it's an invention that's improved the world in non-trivial ways. It's made a lot of money for bike sellers. And, uh, it took a long time for people to think of it is another reason I like the example, right? There are all these advances in bike technology over the years, but when I was growing up, there was not this option of a Strider bike, which all it would have taken was somebody to think to remove the pedals uh, as a way to make a better bike. So that's a, a physical one. Um, I think we, we, I think about this in three categories. One is, you know, adding things. One is adding, um, uh, like social activities, right? So mm -hmm. um, just 
a stop doing is a really simple one to illustrate it in, in, in your calendar, for example, it's like we spend so much time with our to-do lists and do we all, and crossing things off our to-do list, which is, is kind of a subtraction, but a, a real subtraction would be a, a stop doing, right? And uh, what are the things that you're currently doing that you are no longer going to do? Because mm-hmm. if, if people are like me, it's just like too much stuff to do in the time that we have. And, you know, just saying no to things is not going to relieve that problem. You also have to think about what you're currently doing that you can take away. So that's a social subtraction. And then um, ideas. Well, yeah, I and, wanted to talk a little bit more about the about yeah. the uh, the social element, because, you, you know, it, I, I really liked in, in the book, you talked a little bit about the busy trap and how yeah. <laughs> um, we, you know, my in my course, uh, we talk a lot about time batching and, 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 and mm. proper planning of your week. And look, like you said, kind of what, what to remove. Um, we're constantly surrounded by interruptions and, uh, and other types of stimuli with, you know, with the, our smartphone and stuff like that. Um, and it's kind of degrading our attention. Um, and, you know, I think about it every day, especially with uh, with emails, right? So yeah. um, at my university, we, you know, we're always trying to see like, well, we need to keep interacting, keep a constant flow of interaction with our students. And I, you know, I, I was able to talk with one of the students one-on-one to see just how many messages they're getting from different department, di- different departments at the university. And you see that, how, how could you not be overwhelmed and, right. and it, it's kind of, it was an easy opportunity for me to, to realize that, that less, inform, less communication, a little bit less information could be more impactful. And it's one of those things that we often overlook. Yeah, definitely. And I think there, I mean, there are two levels there, right? One is the, as the receiver of information, we have to be good at filtering it and batching it and, and dealing with it, taking ownership of it, because this is, I mean, when the problem of too much information or people complaining about too much information is not new. I mean, this it, right. ever since people could, could write down words, there's record people have said, well, this is going to be the the death of thinking now that <laughs> now that thoughts can be written down and stored that way. Um, and so, um, but it, certainly these new challenges with email and the technology have just, you know, ramped up that problem even more, not problem, but the, the situation even more. And we've got to take ownership of, of filtering that. And, you know, I think um, Cal Newport has, he has a book called the, the End, A World Without Email. And then I, I really liked his book, Digital Minimalism, that talks about some of these practices that you can take. Um, one of the things that I did after reading that was take social media off my phone. Um, so I still have Twitter and LinkedIn, but I don't have it in my pocket. Um, and that's kind of right. has made sense for me and helped kind of create one of those borders. So it's like the information is there, but I'm not, you know, it's not interrupting my other thinking. Um, I'd also say that the, the thing that might be a little new with the information is that the um, most of the cost of the information is being borne by the recipient, right? And that's where, you know, it used to be if you write a book, it takes forever to write a book. And then you, um, you know, so it takes me 
all this time to write a book and then I put it out there and, you know, somebody spends seven hours with it, which is, you know, so most of the cost is with me. The, um, but with the emails, for example, it's like you, you write an email and you send it out to thousands of people and you've created all this information. So the, the time it takes to read the email times the number of people that you've sent it to and the cost is with that person. And so as senders of emails, <laughs> we need to be yep. conscious of that, right? I mean, yes. Yeah, there's lots in, of people a, that, you know, you, you kind of feel like they're time thieves, right? They're just sort of, yeah. uh, you know. But it's holding, easy to do that. Hostage, yeah. And it's, it, you know, 99% of it is well-being, right? You think about it as well-meaning when you send an email, you're, you know, you're trying to provide information to somebody that might be useful for that to them, but you know, it's not going to a vacuum. They're also getting 50 other emails. So how important is this compared to the other ones? How important is this compared to the one you're going to send the next day? Also, I found, um, I, I want, I don't know if I got this from digital minimalism or not, but just mm-hmm. batching when I send emails has been really helpful for my receipt of emails because it, you know, it stems the flow of my emails. Some of the things get resolved in the time between when I would have sent it and when I actually get around to sending it. And, you know, it gives other people the, um, the signal that they don't, I'm not expecting them to respond to this right away. They don't always have to be on with their email because a lot of the times the people you're emailing are people you want to be doing other work than <laughs> responding right. to your emails. So, so yeah. you, you mentioned um, that we, you said domain number one is uh, adding and subtracting things. Then uh, mm. domain number two is adding and subtracting in a social sense. Uh, what mm. is the, what is your, your third category? Um, ideas basically. So, um, in the, you know, the way we build knowledge in our minds or construct knowledge, right. Is yeah, it's an even additive, additive metaphor that we use for it. And we take new information and we scaffold it onto the metal mental models that are already in our head. And of course that's, you know, kind of like building the history of civilization. It's long been a good thing, right? It's long been good to add new information, but the more information you add, the more opportunity there is to kind of revisit some of these things that your mental models are built upon and see if they need to be revised or subtracted. And that, you know, is a really, a really hard thing to do. It takes conscious, it faces all the same barriers as subtracting in the physical world, right? It's hard to think of it, but then even after you do think of it, there's emotional attachment to the things that you might take away. Um, and it requires, change at the same time it's often the more powerful way to change your thinking (laughs) because you know adding one more thing is pretty incremental but if you can subtract some you know wrong construct that you've been building everything upon that can be really transformative in your thinking yeah you mentioned in the book uh the uh the uh triage in the er could you talk a little bit about that that, that's what what my head went to when you were saying ideas and uh yeah subtracting And, and streamlining type things yeah. And so like the triage in the ER, I mean, basically people come into the emergency room. My sister's an emergency room doctor and she uses the triage process to understand how they how they should be um, kind of allocated into the hospital. And uh, it's a very simple four-step process. And of course she's, it, it's a nice illustration of, you know, kind of working memory and then longer term memory where you know, the the basic steps of triage are very simple, but of course, behind that, she's got all this, 
hard-earned information that she learned through her medical degree and through her experience that is is informing those decisions but the the simple steps of the triage are helping her are things that she can use in the moment uh, in while making those decisions um, another example is uh, from the medical field is like checklists um, so the, it's a mm -hmm. Um, catheter insertions create a lot of infections and lead to people dying from something that they, you know, an infection that they didn't have when they came into the hospital. And there are right. all kinds of ways to do a better catheter insertion. But the way that this problem has been solved in many places is by a, a checklist, which is took, took all of these procedures and, you know, best practices for inserting catheters and narrowed it down to, um, just a few steps that doctors and nurses can make sure that they follow. Um, and again, it's, you know, it's avoiding missing the, the forest for the trees. Uh, it's saying here are the key things that you can do to keep in your working memory when you're doing this task. Um, and, you know, uh, do you think it's, do you think it's harder to come up with these types of solutions in the sense of, you know, cause I'm like, I'm picturing the process of like overhauling a medical sort of ch checklist and stuff like that. It's like, if you were to take a group of people and try to improve upon, uh, you know, this, this, this process, it's like anyone can yell out an idea, but it takes a little bit more yeah. critical thinking to, to examine what's already there in detail. Right. Cause th that's like an extra, an step. extra step. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a beautiful illustration of a general principle with subtracting is it's harder in two ways. One is just more work, right? Because to subtract something, you've got to take two steps. That person has to yell out the idea and then somebody else has to say, let's get rid of it. Or that person has to say, let's get rid of it. Right. So something has to be added first. Um, whereas to add, you just need to have added. And then there, it's harder cognitively, or it's harder to come up with a good subtraction because you need to actually understand the whole system, right? And so it's, you can add something without understanding what the hell's going on in the, in the basic system, right? It's just like throw bacon on this. It's got to make it better. Well, uh, but, um, but to subtract something, you actually I agree. Need to I agree with that one. Let's not <laughs> subtracting bacon has never helped anything. Adding bacon always helps. All right. bacon. Um, but the, uh, yeah, but if, got this like complex um system in this case an emergency room for example you can't just come in and say oh well let's stop doing catheter insertions right like right. you've got to really understand all of the things and the way that that system is working and, and oftentimes this the, there are invisible kind of forces in the system right it's not obvious to a an, you know a, an outsider what the whole system is and what could be subtracted. So yeah, harder in two ways. One is just more steps. Two, it requires a more a more complete understanding of the system. Whereas adding, you can just do without without understanding. Well, and and, and you know, it's it's also interesting that um, you said well, you know, don't remove catheter insertions, but sometimes like the problem is to stop doing a procedure. I mean, if you think of like. Yeah. For example, like CAT scans, you know, there, I remember, I don't know, it could have been five, 10 years ago at this point where the recommendation on CAT scans was like, you know, we're not going to do CAT scans in these cases because the cost outweighs the benefit of, you know, we're not going to just do this for, you know, 
head injury without certain types of symptoms and stuff like that. And so sometimes the solution might be the unthinkable. And, and it was kind of something I was thinking about while reading your book was this concept of functional fixedness and how we, yeah. we, we take objects and oftentimes we just interpret them using our default ways of interpreting them. And, uh, you know, you see, you know, we see a bucket, we don't see a, a, a an arced metal, uh, uh, piece and, uh, uh, something that you could stand on. We just see a bucket that's hold, holding liquid. Um, mm-hmm. did you think of, of, of that type of thinking, that functional fixedness, did that come up uh, as you were uh, putting together the book? The relation in my mind between this and functional fixedness is that functional fixedness is obviously a, a, you know, there's a ton of behavioral science and psychology that is relevant to design. Um, mm-hmm. Like, and I'm, you know, by, uh, you know, my degrees are in engineering and I teach engineering and architecture students along with other kinds of students. But, um, and so a lot of what we talk about is design and there's this whole, all, there's all these concepts from psychology that don't make their way over to design that could be helpful in design. Functional fixedness on the other is, is actually one that did make that <laughs> transition over, right? It's like, this is the classic psychology finding, but it's also something that designers will learn about. Um, and so I think that this is analogous um, in that the, the exploration of why don't we, you know, this, this, why don't we subtract when we're trying to change things from how they are to how we want them to be? That's a very, that's a design framing, right? It's basically saying when we're designing, why don't we subtract? I'd see that that is kind of the, um, the analogy, uh, where I thought you might go with, the uh, is, um, like just the, the bias towards doing, right? If you, if you do uh-huh. the CAT scan and nothing's wrong, you don't get blamed. But if you don't do the CAT scan and there's a, uh, and there turns out to be something that you could have discovered on the CAT scan, that's like, you know, heads roll for that. Um, sure. And yeah. so uh, I think that there's, that is definitely a, uh, I forget the psychological term for that, but that kind of bias or that, like, um, uh, that is something that definitely privileges doing, uh, and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, forms of doing that are adding. Um, so staying on health a little bit, um, one of the things that, uh, that, uh, popped in my head while I was going through your book is, um, our tendency to, uh, to neglect subtraction in terms of nutrition. So, uh, you know, I, I, I have lots of, uh, I, I hang out a lot of dive bars and so I, I, you know, hang out with some people that, uh, that consume a lot of alcohol. And one of the, one of the things that I've noticed with them is that they love to approach their health issues, whether it's lethargy or lack of sleep or something like that. They like to add like a vitamin or a, or a pill (laughs) or, Or, or even, even, you know, I got a new Fitbit cause I want to monitor, you know, I want to monitor my steps and, and, and such. And it's super interesting because the solution is right in front of them. It's like, yeah. or, right. Or you could, uh, you know, drink less or stop drinking or something like that. Um, were there any other health examples that, that, that came to mind when you were, uh, when you were researching? 
Yeah, I mean, that one is so it's so like in your face when you think about it, right? So I totally agree with your example there. I think um, the fasting is another one, right? And so that's, you know, um, even people who are healthy have, have started exploring that as a way to become even healthier, right? Is to try this um, kind of temporary fasting. Or, and uh, so that's an example of subtracting to become healthier um, in addition to just like not eating as much or not drinking as much or um, kind of cutting out the things that are bad for you. Uh, the other health one, this didn't make it into the book, but it goes to like um, just the prescribing of drugs. And I've heard this from a lot of doctors that it's just so much easier to prescribe a new drug than it is to evaluate all of the cocktail of drugs that people are already taking and decide oh, yeah. uh, to take some away. Um, and so it's not like they don't know that it's a problem, but it's kind of back to that complex system thing where um, if somebody comes in to them with six drugs, you know, that they're taking uh, that are being prescribed and, and has a problem, then the doctor tries to like uses them with the six drugs as the present state as, right. because it just takes more time to think about, oh, well, maybe like if I got rid of three of these drugs and added one, they would only be on four drugs and uh, have a, you know, have their problem solved in a better way when it's, it's easier to just say, okay, let's prescribe this other drug that we think will solve the problem that's presenting itself. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, so that reminds me. So one of the, one of the principles that you kind of do a deep dive in or, uh, uh, that you do a deep dive about in the book is, uh, satisficing. So yeah, <laughs> this, I, this principle that there's, uh, I, I guess what I would say is like, there's, there's a sweet spot when you're trying to solve a problem. I don't know any other better way to put it. Um, yeah. but this idea that there's, you know, it reminds me of all the, the research on, on happiness and how like, you know, it's, it's, there is a thing is too much, you have too much, uh, or you need, yeah. you know, you need the best, right. And that there's a downside by, by, uh, pointing your arrow in one direction, trying to obtain the best and more, and that there's a sweet spot. Could you, could you talk a little bit about satisficing? Yeah, I mean, and satisficing is, I mean, Herbert Simon, one uh, economist and did a lot of behavioral decision science research, won a Nobel Prize for this, the kind of like the the first era of the what's now the Daniel Kahneman, Amos Tversky, uh, beyond rationality stuff. And, and so Simon showed that there are a lot of cases where it makes it's perfectly logical not to come up with the optimal solution, right? The, the optimal solution that math would suggest it. I mean, I think about this and when I go, uh, now it's online, but when, when you're shopping for groceries, right? Do you, there are a hundred kinds of spaghetti sauce available and yeah, you could sit there and create a decision matrix to say, okay, which one like optimizes on price, calories, salt content and taste. Um, or you could, you know, pick the first one you see that is less than $5 and it doesn't have more than 25% of your sodium content. And so, and then allows you to move on and do the rest of your shopping, right? Because for, for situ for decisions like that, it doesn't make sense to present, uh, spend a lot of cognitive effort on them. And so you can, uh, what Simon said was that a lot of times it's like this imperfect satisfying makes perfect sense or imperfect satisficing makes perfect sense 
And so how that ties into adding and subtracting, right, is um, number one, as our research showed, adding is our first instinct, right? And so we add, and then um, it's not that we can't think of subtracting, it's just that adding comes to mind first. So if you add, and that's a good enough solution, if that's a satisfied solution, you're like, all right, um, on to the next thing. I mean, I think about this in writing. Uh, it's pretty easy to write an email that gets the point across and you're like, okay, good enough, send. And um, it, it, it might be a better email if you could subtract three of the 10, even if it's a 10 word email, you could subtract three words to make it shorter, but you just don't have the, um, have the cognitive effort to do that. So, uh, or have the, yeah, you don't want to devote the cognitive effort to doing that. Um, right. And so the, yeah, so satisficing to the extent that it takes more effort to think of subtracting and we tend to satisfy in some of our decisions, um, satisficing is going to lead to more adding than, um, than subtracting. I don't, that wasn't a beautiful explanation, but it's a, well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I liked, I liked that you addressed it because, you know, I I'm obsessed with, with balance, which Perfect, yeah. perfect title for the, for your next book, right? <laughs> Just you got balance, subtract yeah. balance, you get, um, and then add, but, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, but but yeah, this idea that um, that that if you look at enough problems, this this you tend to find these solutions in the middle um, across the board, right? Whether it's uh, whether it's food, like like well, you know, just arbitrarily picking food, like there's there's um there's eating too much or having right, right. just eating too much or on the other end it's too much energy around food where you're too restrictive right and like the sweet spot is you know you try to eat about eat, eat balanced meals and then occasionally you can have the snack or something like that and um and and it you know that was one of the things i was thinking of uh when when i came across this section in, on satisficing I mean, it just also mirrors with the subtracting is takes more thought, um, you know, so it go the best, the most straightforward explanation of where satisficing ties in here is that, you know, we are, we've been shown to, and it makes sense to only devote uh, the, to not devote all of our cognitive resources to every problem. And so when we're making these satisfied decisions, uh, and we don't, devote more cognitive resources, we're more likely to stop at the, the first instinct, which is, which is adding. Mm -hmm. So how do we avoid, uh, over subtracting, right? So, yeah. um, you know, if you look in 2022, we have apps on our phones that deliver us food. We can have, uh, we can hire maid services. We, we don't have to go to the store to, to rent a video anymore. We just click a few buttons we've made so much progress streamlining things that we've determined these nice little technological solutions. So we don't have to do them anymore. Everything's faster. Um, but if you really like dig deep into this solution, we've kind of made these activities less, uh, less satisfying. Like, you know, yeah. if you, yeah. back in the day, if you had to like go get in the car to go get a, a steak or something like that. There was so much more effort to do that. And then because of the effort, the, the reward was that much more rewarding. So if we've naturally made all these changes to, to modern life through technology, how do we avoid 
um, uh, you know, cutting out too much so that there's, there is no hard work, there's no feeling of work to, uh, pers- for, to these pursuits. Yeah, I mean, I'm agnostic on whether you should subtract or not, right? I mean, that is, once you've thought of this, then by all means, do what you think is best for you. And I, I, uh, I don't think it's certainly not the answer in all situations. And I would even, if I had to pick adding or subtracting to only do for the rest of my life, it would be adding, but, um, but I don't. And so it's the, the main message is consider both of these things. And like you said, balance, um, how do you, how do we have a balance? These are complementary ways to change things from how they are to how we want them to be. I'd say with the technology, it all, you know, one of the things that comes up in engineering a lot is this notion of efficiency, right? And that's, it's not really subtracting. It's, it's more like you're, you're taking something away, but the, it's not to take something away to make it better. You're taking something away so that you can do more, so that you can add even more stuff. Um, and I think some of the technology examples fall into that category, right? It's like you, by taking away the, uh, by de- you know, your example of if, if this app makes it so that you no longer get to interact with the, the waitress and the hostess and the, um, the restaurant owner, that's not making the situation better. Uh, and it's just making it faster and allowing you to like move on to something else that will be faster. So I, I, I agree with you completely that there subtracting is not the answer in all situations. I would say that one though might not even fit into the category in my mind because it's not by definition making the situation better. It's actually making the situation worse. But um, yeah, it is something to be wary of. I'm not worried that we're gonna overdo subtraction anytime soon, but um, right. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is true that there are things, you know, it's not always better. Uh, so, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you uh, whether or not you cut out any chapters and whether or not you regretted cutting out that chapter. I haven't regretted cutting anything out. It's hard to break it into chapters. I mean, I've definitely cut out the equivalent amount of words as about three chapters, actually. So I would say the book is about 70,000 words and definitely 30,000 words of excerpts that are never going to see the light of day, maybe even more. And uh, so, yeah, I cut and I don't regret it. If anything, it's like, um, you, you know, wish I could have cut more, but it takes time. It's, it's hard work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so at the, at, the, uh, at the end of the book, uh, you sort of lay out sort of this step-by-step process. So you condense everything down uh, for takeaways. Um, yeah. Could you talk about these? Cause like, I think this was like the, the um, you know, the practical kind of approach to, uh, to examining your life through a different lens. Um, yeah. What, what, what were those? I, hopefully I get them right. You can fill <laughs> in if <laughs> it was, um, so I think, I mean, the, the basic steps and, you know, they make sense when you read the book, uh, and hopefully I can make them make sense now too. That, um, so the first one is like, again, subtract before you act. And this gets to the, the systemic nature of all these issues that we're trying to improve. So oftentimes uh, we are like, we, this, the very situation that we're trying to make better um, can be improved by, you know, 
streamlining our mental model of it, right? So right. can we simplify our metal, mental model of this, um, of this situation? So that's an example of that is the, uh, the emergency room checklists, right? So it's like, here's this thing that, that we want to improve, but to, to start improving it, we need to, we need to remove all of this extraneous detail or filter out the extraneous detail and just put the, the important parts of the system front and center. Um, the and then the, the next step is to subtract first. <laughs> so it's like the whole problem with our thinking process here is that we think of adding first and then because we satisfy, we move on. Right. Um, so if you think of subtracting first, you've solved that problem there. I don't think there's any danger that you're not, then gonna consider adding, uh, and you've kind of forced yourself to think of think of the thing that we might otherwise overlook. Um, the I use Jenga as an example for this um, because if you uh, there's a lot of Lego examples in the book too, and Legos you're just kind of infinitely building with. And Jenga, of course, the the whole rule of the game is you have to take something away before you add it back on top, and that creates a a very different type of system than the, the Lego infinite expansion system. Um, so subtract first, uh, then it's it keep subtracting. Um, so yeah, and this ties back to the, um, well, you actually did a really good job walking us through these uh, examples because now I can tie back to them. So this ties back to the competence thing, right? So I, we talked about how there's a disadvantage in, in in displaying competence through subtracting, it's harder to get people to notice it. Mm -hmm. But it's not that people can't see subtracting. If you do enough subtracting, and a lot of the examples that you think of, like minimalist architecture, for example, or a, uh, um, I use Bruce Springsteen, one of his albums in my book that's like Darkness on the Edge of Town. It's really a stripped down album. And um, that, and the point is that if you subtract enough, people notice the Apple right. products, same thing, right? It's like, yeah. If, if Steve Jobs had removed one more fe one feature from the, you know, the dominant computer, nobody would have noticed that he removed one thing. But when you strip it all the way down to the, this thing, it's like, oh, man, that's different. Uh, there is competence there. Some thought went into taking those things away. So that's the, the keep subtracting. It can help you show competence and, you know, reveals more opportunities. And then the last one is a nice one to end on because we've talked a lot about the systematic disadvantages that subtracting faces. I mean, it's not visible. It's uh, we don't think of it at first, but is we can reuse our subtractions and that's an advantage that adding doesn't have. And I think of donut holes for this one. And uh, so donut holes for donuts for a really long time were just like smashed pieces of, of dough with no hole in the middle. And then there's all these legends about how the hole got started and um but basically, once there is a hole in the middle, they cook more evenly. There's more space to spread delicious um, sugar on. And uh, and so it's definitely an improvement that took a long time to think of by subtracting. But then not only do you have this donut, but you've got the leftover piece of dough, which um, can be its own kind of source of income and source of delight, right? You can sell donut holes. Um, so when you think about uh, removing you know, you remove something from your calendar, that is something that space that you can reuse when you remove physical things um, that you can, or don't use physical things, that's a physical resource that you can use in some other way. So the, the last step is to remember that you can reuse your subtractions. Mm -hmm. uh, well, uh, thank you so much uh, for walking us 
through uh, the book. Uh, once again, it is called uh, Subtract, The Untapped Science of Less. Uh, I, I just really enjoyed uh, the, uh, the, the concept and how it, it sort of um, allows me now to look at the world through a different lens. That's, that's, what, I felt, uh, that's what I felt after, after uh, finishing this. Uh, thank you again for being on uh, Lighty Clots. Well, thanks for having me, Ryan, and your interview it, it will allow me to look at the world through a different lens, too. So that's the, um, the nicest compliment you could pay the book, so I'll, I'll pay it back for this conversation. For more on Lighty, visit his website, lightyclots.com. That's L-E-I-D-Y-K-L-O-T-Z dot com. Or purchase his latest book, Subtract, The Untapped Science of Less, wherever books are sold. Be sure to follow the Why Do We Do That Facebook page for updates and additional content. Don't forget to rate and write a review on iTunes. Follow on Instagram at Why Do We Do That Podcast or Twitter at WDWDT pod. As always, feel free to email me at why do we do that podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Dr. Ryan Moyer, hoping you found some answers to the question, why do we do that? <laughs>